welcome to the Iran podcast. I'm your host, Negar Murtazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, you hear a conversation about threats and attacks against female journalists around the world. I joined the Canadian television CTV on a show called Realities of Racism with host Angie Seth, and we discussed this issue in two separate conversations. You're going to hear both parts in this episode. So here's the first part of our conversation on realities of racism with host Angie Seth. Enough is enough. That's the anthem of female journalists around the world. Women in the industry who are constant targets of bullying, hate, and in some cases, violence, even death. For BIPOC women, there's an added layer of vitriol and they're demanding change, and it needs to start in the newsroom. Joining me to talk more about this in our Realities of Racism panel, Nigar Mortavazi, host of Iran podcast out of Washington, D.C. Rachel Pulfer also joins us, executive director of Journalists for Human Rights. It is so wonderful to have you both on the program today. Thanks for having me. I want Canadians to understand and hear what it is like. Nigar, tell me about your experience. Sure. So I have been living in exile in fear of persecution from the Iranian government for over a decade now. For my coverage, I mostly focus on Iran and also on U.S. foreign policy. And I have a critical view of of both countries, of their policies towards each other. So uh, the Iranian government has been trying to intimidate me. They have uh, interrogated my family, raided my family's home in the country and try to pressure me through pressuring my family to stop my work. And then another layer that's been added to that has been online harassment and intimidation uh, with a combination of misinformation directed at me and people like me, mostly focusing, as you said, on women, people of color. Uh, A lot of journalists and analysts have similar Uh, experiences, sexually explicit, very vulgar language, um, death threats, rape threats. And at some point, they uh, also dox my personal information and threaten my family online. So it's all been adding unnecessary stress to an already stressful job. Yeah, uh, decades, as you say, of all of this and, and, and you trying to do a job where we talk about freedom of speech and freedom of information. Rachel, with the work that you do, with the journalists that you work with, with your own work, What have you experienced? Well, what we're seeing, and in particular, this has been a story in Canada over the past few weeks. uh, The uh, leader of the People's Party, uh, Maxime Bernier, baited um, his supporters to uh, play dirty with certain journalists, named three journalists on Twitter. And then we saw this avalanche of hate directed in particular at women and in particular at women journalists of color. Uh, Omaira Issa with CBC Saskatchewan received some of the most horrific messages. Uh, uh, she is a black a Canadian um, based in Regina and uh, Fatima Syed. Uh, and there has just been an avalanche of this kind of hateful language targeting women and targeting women of color in this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, in response, there was a joint statement issued by a number of media organizations, including um, CTV and CBC, uh, calling for change and calling uh, to indicate that there's a line in the sand that this kind of hateful speech crosses uh, and that there are consequences 
um, I think now it's time to figure out exactly what those consequences can be and uh, beef up those kinds of statements with enforcement and action. Before we get to that action there, and, and you and you both quite directly have pointed it out, uh, where, the, where it, it does beg the question, and Nagar, I think you're best to answer this, why BIPOC journalists are targeted more than their white colleagues? Well, I think this is a combination of basically a weaponization of misogyny and sexism, racism, xenophobia, all of these, you name it. And also this um, n- notion or this thought that these people are more vulnerable, people like myself, mm-hmm. um, and it's easier to intimidate them and force them to back off or to stop what they're doing. If they're being too challenging, if they're being too critical of a certain um, politician, certain party. And I'm glad uh, Rachel also pointed it out because as an Iranian-American or journalist in the diaspora, we thought, and this is of a, a global consensus, we used to think that these are things that only happen to journalists in authoritarian countries. But that's not really the case. It's happening to me here in the United States, Rachel mentioned uh, journalists in Canada, in Europe, and in other countries. And I think it's that intimidation factor. These are these attacks, these threats, and these harassments are meant to intimidate us and force us to stop what we're doing. And we see they see us as the weak links, mm. as more vulnerable, and that's why they put the pressure in addition to the misogyny and the sexism and the racism that's behind all of that and for homophobia. Yeah, and interestingly enough all the work that you are doing, all the work that female journalists and BIPOC, female BIPOC journalists are doing around the world is the strength uh, of journalism and not the weakness here. Um, social media has certainly allows that to happen more directly, more frequently. And Rachel, when you talked about, well, now we things need to change, measures need to be put in place, can we bring it home right into the newsroom and say what needs to change there first? So I'm particularly inspired and encouraged by what uh, APTN did under uh, its uh, CEO, John the Rose. Uh, APTN has numerous female indigenous anchors uh, who were reporting on complex human rights issues in both internal to indigenous communities and uh, non-indigenous communities in Canada as well. They were becoming lightning rods of hatred and attack. Um, um, online and off. Uh, Some of these anchors had horrific stories of being forced off the road when they were reporting in uh, in Indigenous communities. And so Jean LaRose uh, indicated to his staff that he would look into uh, criminally prosecuting uh, people who had been uh, abusing speech and abusing um, uh, the protections of freedom of speech in this country in order to target the women, and in particular the indigenous women of color who were on air on ABTN. And this was a successful strategy uh, in terms of helping to roll back some of the threats and ensure that people understood that these women and this news organization was not just going to sit and take this kind of abuse and assault, uh, that there are protections under the criminal code in Canada to protect people from this kind of abuse of freedom of speech, and that they can be used uh, in order to ensure uh, that people who would otherwise feel very free to target journalists of color in this way, and in particular women journalists of color, mm-hmm. understood that there were consequences to their actions. Yeah, certainly. And Nagar, well, you mentioned, and we talked about the freedom of speech, but we talked about the danger of misinformation. How do we, and, and Rachel asked you this question as well, how do we protect 
freedom of speech, freedom of information, without creating cause to be bullied or targeted. That misinformation, as you mentioned, Nagar, playing can play a very central role in that. So how do we prevent the misinformation while we're still protecting being able to do our jobs? Well, this is a great point. And I think with COVID times and misinformation around vaccines, it's the first time that we're seeing that misinformation can actually kill. It can have serious uh, damages to the society because as women journalists and as targets, we've been warning about this around politics mostly, but around the vaccine and the COVID, I think this was the first serious wake up call. And um, what's important, I think, going back to the role of the social media country, uh, companies, because that's where the misinformation is thriving at this time. That's where the harassment and the targeting and the threats seem to be thriving and seem to be exploding out of control. I think the responsibility of the social media companies is something that needs to be taken serious. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be regulated more because they're not going to take this on if they're not pressured into it. Their uh, algorithms and their system works when there's more interaction and heated discussions and they don't care much about it unless it's actually pressured and they're regulated and they need to be held responsible for threats mm-hmm. and, and for attacks that are posted on their platform by you know, trolls, unnamed accounts, and sometimes even real people with their own identities. Rachel, I, I've just got about 30 seconds left here, but I do, before we go, I do want to have you both back because I think we need to continue the conversation, but what would you say? One of the challenges here is exactly what Nagar has uh, focused mm-hmm. on, which is this issue where we have these platforms that are essentially the largest publishers now in the world. They don't call themselves publishers for legal reasons, but they are uh, they circulate and broadcast voices to, in Facebook's case, over two billion people worldwide. And one of the challenges with that is. Uh, and, and this notion that somehow this is not publishing uh, is that uh, there's minimal responsibility taken for <clears throat> not only what is shared, but the way it's shared. Uh, Journalist for Human Rights has partnered with Maria Ressa most recently and very happily named uh, the Nobel Peace uh, Laureate this year. Maria told us horrific stories of a tw- 26 Facebook accounts that were targeting her personally Mm -hmm. in the Philippines with up to 98 messages an hour being pumped in her direction, describing the most vile kind of abuse uh, that these people were hoping would be visited upon her. Luckily, in our case, luckily for all of us, uh, Maria was, she was, that just strengthened her resolve to continue to Mm -hmm. report, to continue to ask uh, difficult questions and ensure that Uh, power was held accountable. But I think part of what uh, the social media platforms need to take on board is that that is an abuse of freedom of speech. And similarly with the example that I cited with Jean LaRose, mm-hmm. abuses of freedom of speech should have consequences. Yeah. That, should, that kind of behavior should not be allowed to stand. Absolutely. And I also, you know what, as I said, we'll continue the conversation, but having this conversation, there's a great deal of support though that we are seeing, which is so important. It's such a great honor to have the both of you on the program to talk about this. Nigar uh, Mortadvazi, host of the Iran podcast, Rachel Pulfer, executive director of Journalists for Human rights. We will be speaking again soon. Thank you both for giving me your time today. Thank you very much. You're both welcome. That was the first part of our conversation on realities of racism with host Angie Seth. Now take a listen to the second part of this conversation on the same show, Realities of Racism on Canada's CTV. 
It needs to stop. Words we've heard over and over again from female journalists around the world. Women in the industry who are constant targets of bullying, hate, violence, even death. And for BIPOC women, there's an added layer of fear and concern. It has to stop and it has to change. This was the conversation we had last week on our Realities of Racism panel, and we continue it today with uh, Nagar uh, Mortazavi, host of the Iran podcast. She's in Washington for us, and Rachel Pulfer also joins us once again, Executive Director of Journalists for Human Rights. I'm so happy to bring you both back. We have so much that we need to be continuing the conversation about on this. Um, so picking up kind of from where we left off, we were all three of us were talking about that misinformation and the danger of that misinformation and, and what it creates. Uh, Nagar, talk to me a bit more about that and, and how it has affected you, how it's fueled the hate and bullying that we're experiencing. Sure, Angie. Hi to you and to Rachel. It's great to be back. So as I was discussing what we see from the avalanche of these attacks and these threats, they usually start with a snowflake. It starts with a piece of misinformation posted about, I've experienced this myself as a female journalist covering um, very polarizing foreign policy issues, Iranian uh, political discourse, especially when you cover something with nuance, is the time when both sides start attacking you for citing uh, with one or the other. And then the misinformation or the misinterpretation of what you said, of what you reported. I've had videos strategically edited of different interviews that I've done where words are taken out of context, sentences are taken out of context and then put together. And that's how the attacks and the smears and the threats start. And then they uh, sort of explode at the end and get out of control. And then you have regular users or normal people joining in, average citizens who see this stuff, get very angry and join into the mob. But sometimes it comes from, and many times it comes from well-funded, well-coordinated places where these productions really mm -hmm. of the misinformation are put together and then you see the mob joining in. Yeah, certainly. And Rachel, talk to me about how dangerous this is. You work with so many female journalists, many of them, like Nigar, putting their lives on the line for freedom of journalism to get that story out. But it all gets muddied and this now becomes the focus here and, and, and these journalists aren't able to do their job safely. It's very, very dangerous. What we are seeing is threefold. Uh, we're seeing women journalists, and in particular, female journalists of color, attacked in the coordinated way that Degar described online. Uh, the most famous example is Maria Ressa, who at one point calculated she was receiving 98 messages an hour. That's on par with uh, what we've also been seeing uh, at, in certain uh, quarters in our own country as well, uh, with ongoing, sustained, and vile attacks over many, many years uh, with journalists such as Sri Pardkar, Supriya Devedi, Omraira Issa, and so many others. It's unconscionable, but here's what happens. This has a chilling effect. It makes some female journalists reluctant to use social media platforms as a professional tool. Male journalists use platforms without thinking. Women journalists too often really have to weigh the pros and cons of what they say online, if they are online at all. And in this instance, I'll use the example of Lisa Laflam of CTV who told me when I was researching this issue about a year ago for a paper for CCUNESCO that she actually doesn't bother to check, let alone go on Twitter, because of the vile things she receives. And if a person of the stature of Lisa Laflamme is reluctant to go on Twitter because of the way that Twitter uh, relates to her, imagine what it's like for someone like Supriya Devedi or Omaira Issa 
uh, who luckily now they have a lot more backup from their media uh, companies than was the case before. But still, it's a huge problem. And in extreme cases, we've seen recently in the DRC, for example, the online threats can spill into offline threats of violence and death threats, which yeah. is why it is very, very important we do something about this as a society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can even tell personally, I'm thinking twice when I'm responding to something someone has put out there, should I even bother? Should you ignore it? And then you're concerned about what the re reaction is going to be. And in some cases, not all the time, and we can all attest to this, you get someone supporting you. You get someone saying, we've got your back. Nigar, how and, and, and Rachel, I'll get you to weigh in on this as well. How important is that as we as you say there, Rachel, this has to stop. We have to change it. How important is that support in us trying to move the dial on this, Nigar? Indeed, I think it's very important. And we are having people, first of all, learn more and more about this, because a lot of these attacks and threats happen in the dark corners of the internet. Not all of my friends and my support networks are going to look at every single mention I get or every uh, personal private message I receive. So first of all, the uh, information and there's more education on this issue. We're seeing more official reports by credible organizations. Just this last week, uh, there was a report on attacks on female journalists who cover Iran, people like myself, uh, published by CPJ, the Committee to Protect Journalists, Article 19. These are credible organizations. The UN has talked about this, Amnesty International. So there's this education factor and people supporting you. But I think the support system is not enough when it comes from our colleagues or from people like yourself. We need social media companies on board or we need more pressure on them to regulate them better, to stop because I think at the end of the day, the power lies with where these attacks are published. And also, if they're coordinated and funded, until it's someone's paycheck to attack journalists, to attack female and people of color uh, journalists, this is not going to completely stop, no matter how much support we get. I've got one last question, because sadly, we're almost out of time here. But Rachel, the change also has to come within newsrooms, within the organizations that we are working for. Correct. Yes. Uh, in the past, media organizations tended to shrug the response was if you don't like the heat get out of the kitchen but the reality is that with the rise of these orchestrated coordinated hate campaigns on social media the kitchen is on fire mm -hmm. and it's time to call the fire fire brigade yeah no it absolutely does um, but we're talking about it and we're not going to stop talking about it and we're going to keep supporting each other as we get through this um, as always it is such a pleasure to have you both on the program thank you both so much for giving me your time and your honesty through all of this nigar mortazavi host of the iran podcast and rachel pulfer executive director of journalists for human rights we've got each other's back ladies thank you so much for this thank, thank you. you you're both very welcome Thank you for tuning in to the Iran podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter at Iran podcast. You can also support us by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran podcast and clicking on support. With your help, we can continue our work and be editorially independent. Thank you and goodbye.